Welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like, a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United in St. Louis. This episode features highlights from the MCU Call to Action Assembly, led by Reverend Deborah Kraus of Eden Seminary and recorded on April 30th over Zoom. For the full program, please visit mcustlewis.org or our Facebook page. Protecting our community and lifting our voices. We welcome all friends and members of the MCU network from across this region. And we welcome tonight as well, the community of the Eden Theological Seminary eForum, who are gathering tonight with us to experience what community organizing is doing and what it is like in this COVID-19 era, in this virtual reality. We are gathered here tonight in this new way, assured that in the spirit, while we are separate from one another physically, we are drawn together in this forum with great power and great energy to move mountains. Mountains of greed, mountains of exploitation, mountains of racism, that are demeaning and destroying our youth, our families, and our communities. We are gathered here because, yes, even in this time, especially at this time, lives are at stake and our action is required. So welcome and bless you for being here tonight and be open and be ready to be moved to action. Beginning tonight, we will be uh, joined by Reverend James Ross from our MCU board, who will uh, be bringing us a reflection to begin our evening. Reverend Ross. Well, thank you, Deb. And thanks to everyone for being here. I am looking forward to uh, our time together. I am going to spend just a few minutes talking about why we are here today our purpose for this meeting. And I'll just start by saying that one of the things I've heard a lot lately is that the COVID-19 crisis exposed inequities in our society. I've heard that because of the way that the coronavirus is disproportionately killing um, some people uh, that, and meaning people of color and poor people, that we are now becoming aware of the structural issues that led to this. And perhaps you have heard this too. Now, to me, this is an astounding claim, but to be fair, it may be true that this is surprising to many people. But I want to say that it should not have been. The truth is that these systems in this moment are doing exactly what they were designed to do because they were never intended to protect black people they were always biased against Latinos. They have never fully valued women. They have always deemed poor people indispensable. And devalued and vulnerable populations have been aware of this for a long time. And so this dis disproportionate rate of infection and death among African-Americans and other communities of color is simply an extension of the health disparities that have long existed. 
Because in addition to ex inadequate access to healthcare services, these communities suffer from trauma after trauma. And this has made their bodies, it has made our bodies vulnerable to the types of pre-existing conditions that make COVID-19 deadly. So I believe it is fair to say that our society, our political systems, our economic systems, our businesses, and even our healthcare system are killing people just as surely as if they had held a gun to their heads. But there is far more. The results of these centuries long commitments to an idolization of racism, sexism, and classism have shown up in other ways as well. We see them in education where Dr. John King, the president of the Education Trust and the secretary of education under President Barack Obama has said that we are at risk of losing an entire generation of students as a result of this pandemic. To avoid it, he urges appropriate supports, which would include educational resources, electronic equipment, such as tablets, access to Wi-Fi, special supports for children whose parents must work and cannot provide homeschooling, and for those who are identified as unhoused or who have special educational needs. And there is much more. Because we know that for centuries, well, for hundreds of years, centuries in this country, African-Americans were forbidden to learn to read. And we have never adequately invested in, in, in um, reparations for this history. We cannot allow this pandemic to make this even worse. And we know that what happens in education and healthcare never stand alone. We know that when we do not provide people with education that gives them economic options, that when we don't treat existing healthcare conditions, and in fact, further oppressed communities in ways that create additional traumas and mental health concerns. We know that when black children and Latino children are vilified from childhood and never truly seen as innocent, that it cannot be a surprise that community, when communities of color are disproportionately represented by incarceration. We've known about the straight line from enslavement to mass incarceration. We've known that it is a difference of degrees, that both control the body and attempt to control the mind, that both benefit from free labor, that both replicate themselves, that both naturalize themselves by trying to convince the society that they are good for us, that they keep the society safe, and that they enable the quality of life that members of the society believe they deserve. And so with all of that, it should be no surprise that in this time of a global pandemic, what is happening in prisons and through incarceration is itself criminal because our family members and those whom we love are not properly protected from this virus and the pandemic is being used as another means of voter suppression. None of this is natural. None of this had to happen, but because of the society and the structures we have created, they were inevitable because we have created systems of death. But we can change this. We know this because of what we have already done together. We know that the work will not be easy 
but we know that it is work that matters. And we also know that we have what we need. We have the power of the people, we have the power of the ballot, and we have our faith. The major faith traditions all express an overt commitment to justice. And perhaps it looks different for us depending on our specific faith tradition. But I believe it is appropriate that we are together today that what we are thinking about now is our call to justice. For this is sacred work during what for many of us is a sacred time in our religious year. For Christians, we are in the Easter season, which is the very center of our faith and reminds us of what people in the Jewish tradition already knew, that there has always been death, but there also is the power of the possibility of resurrection and renewal. And for Muslims, this is Ramadan with its focus on prayer, reflection and community. For members of these faiths and others, and for those who subscribe to no faith, there may be much in our beliefs that separate us. But as a Christian pastor, I say thanks be to God that we share a commitment to the work of MCU and its ultimate goal of building the beloved community. And this commitment makes us, I believe it propels us and to address those urgent needs today. And as we do, I am reminded of a prayer that is often used by people who are Lutheran. It is the prayer of good courage. And I think it speaks perfectly to our reality today. Oh God, you have called us to venture where we cannot see the end by paths never yet taken through perils unknown. Give us good courage not knowing where we go, to know that your hand is leading us wherever we may go. Amen. Thank you, and let's get going. Amen, Reverend Ross. Thank you so much for that powerful reflection that offered such a strong historical and theological analysis of how the powers and principalities have been designed to create the systems of suffering and death we are facing tonight, uh, that we are facing now in this pandemic. And so we move now to hear testimonies from people who have been impacted by these systems and who are gathering power in community to resist them. First, we hear from Ms. Maria Miller of Expo, talking about impacted families of incarceration. Hello, everyone. So my name is Maria. Um, I am the founder of Our Lives Matter. I have a campaign justice for Larry Miller. I'm also a leader of Expo, Ex-Incarcerated People Organizing, as task force of MCU. Our Lives Matter partnered with Expo. We were founded in January 2015. We are a non-for-profit and focus on building our youth in our communities to eliminate gun violence in and throughout St. Louis. In 2014, I lost my son and my brother to gun violence. I also lost a brother who was brutally murdered inside the Missouri Department of Corrections. I began fighting for peace in our streets and began to fight for truth and justice. As the Department of Corrections failed him in so many ways. His human rights were violated, his constitutional rights were violated as he was dehumanized. 
The Department of Corrections and the medical staff failed, neglected, and providing a safe and secure environment. And they are, all, they are failing now in Missouri. And when other states have acted swiftly and as of Connecticut and Washington, why not Missouri? There was no accountability in my family's investigation. As I began to advocate for those incarcerated, the families impacted by, and also loved ones impacted for those incarcerated. They have suffered like me. I joined Expo because of things I am fighting for with the Missouri Department of Corrections were the same things that Expo wanted to change with the policies and procedure. I feel like people like me who have been impacted by falsely accused, targeted against, loss of family in the Department of Corrections due to violence. Some have been on probation and understand the long ramifications of being in the system as I've also been on probation. So I encourage you all who have been impacted to fight with me for these same issues that have affected me and you. We could work together to get them changed. I am currently helping those that are wrongly convicted. I also advocate for um, those incarcerated and for their human rights as well as due process with the Missouri Department of Corrections. The newest mission that I am working on with the Department of Corrections are those that are serving time during this pandemic with safety, security, fair treatment, safety equipment. We're trying to get video visits, immediate release for those chronically ill, elderly, elderly and those up for release, as well as those have been denied probation, I'm sorry, parole under the inadequate board during 2015 through 2017. That unfair board with inadequate seats held a lot of people back that could be released and sent home. These issues have been going on for decades and decades before this pandemic. And if we don't do anything during this pandemic, they will continue. And they've only gotten worse. Why do we have to wait for someone to die in jail before we get changed? I will continue to fight this process until we get the change that we desire for those incarcerated. The system is failing us on so many levels. I am asking for all that are impacted by incarcerations to stand with me as we stand up for a failing system, to a failing system, I'm sorry, where our loved ones are being dehumanized. Unity is power when there is power in numbers. Let's hold the Department of Corrections accountable for what they're doing to our loved ones. And I thank you all for listening. Thank you, Ms. Miller. And now we'll, we'll move on and hear from uh, Ms. Tarika now. Hi, good evening, everyone. How are you? My name is Tarika, and I have a husband who's incarcerated in MDLC, and he was kidnapped at the age of 19 years old. And during that process, all of his rights were violated. And currently, right now, he suffers from bronchitis, and he is under a doctor's order but he haven't gotten any attention in over 20 years to where he has mastered himself on how to treat his bronchitis. Now, during this COVID situation, he is under an extreme amount of stress. They have been given masks, but these masks are ineffective, of course. They're merely bed sheets. Um, they do not have the proper cleaning supplies. And the thing about everything is, is that they kidnap our children and they make them live in such a manner to where it's inhumane. Uh, my husband is now 46 years old. Um, he, like I said, he was kidnapped when he was 19. 
he has paperwork from day one. Um, a guilty man does not hold on to every single piece of paperwork that was in due process and pertaining to his court case. Um, yeah, so we just really, it's just not time for us to stand up. It's time for us to stand together and make many, many moves. It, it is time because enough time has passed and they're still getting away with it. And our, our streets would be bad, I feel, if we had the pillars of our community that were snatched up years ago in their severing time in the penitentiary. Um, in humane time, my husband was given two life terms without the possibility of parole, plus 24 years um, on a double homicide that he just did not commit. He wasn't even on the scene. And yeah, and this young man who is being held and other babies who's being held with being violated, it's time for it to stop and we must make a move. Not just stand, it's time to make a move. Thank you, Mr. Rika, for that powerful testimony uh, to do more than just stand together. We got to move together. And right now we're going to uh, hear some testimony from Ms. Sherry Crockett of New Hope Presbyterian about moving together in phone banking uh, here in St. Louis. Hello, my name is Sherry Crockett and I'm a phone bank leader with MCU. Uh, since the start of the Stay Home Missouri measures, we've been calling seniors in the community to see if they're doing okay, if they have people checking in on them, and if they need any services, specifically if they need uh, to receive Meals on Wheels deliveries. Um, at the beginning of this week, as of the beginning of this week, uh, volunteers have made over 40,000 phone calls and spoken with over 4,500 seniors. Um, that's a lot of calls in a short time. Uh, I decided to answer the call to volunteer for this because I have a soft spot for older people. Even though I'm considered to fall within this population, I still think of people like my grandparents and aunts and uncles when I think of the elderly. And I would hate to think of them isolated at home at a time like this. Uh, the truth is, though, that isolation is not new to our elderly population. Sadly, it's a reality that many of them live with every day, and they have been forgotten by our society. I found being a phone bank volunteer to be very rewarding. Uh, I've not had any hateful responses to my calls. Um, considering my usual response to unknown callers, I understand why many people are initially wary um, when they receive the calls, but most hear me out and are very polite and express their appreciation for our efforts to take care of the elderly in our community. Um, there's always one or two calls a day that really stand out and remind me of how important what we are doing really is. Uh, for instance, one woman I spoke with uh, was the last person during one of my time slots that day. Uh, she was such a sweet person and was so appreciative of the call. Although she clearly needed some help, she hated to ask because she didn't want to take services away from others. Um, but I told her that that was exact, she was in the exact position that these services were designed for. And we were able to get her in touch with Meals on Wheels and to sign her up for some additional services. So. 
Reaching people like this makes me particularly happy that I volunteered to take this initial step toward reconnecting with the isolated elderly in our community. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic may have prompted this call program, but it's clear to me from being a part of it that there's a need for ongoing senior outreach in our community, and we need more help to reach all of them. Uh, we're also using these calls to ask if seniors will commit to completing their census forms. Um, encouraging as many people as possible to fill out their forms is important work because there are those in government who don't wanna see everybody in the greater St. Louis area counted. And, and they're making it as hard as possible and they're making it as scary as possible for them to do so. I believe that everyone should be included and I'm happy to do my part to see that they are. Um, not only is this important for redistricting purposes, but as important, it ensures that federal funds are properly allocated for the services for the most vulnerable in our population, including seniors. So we have made a lot of calls so far, but we've only touched the surface. We need more volunteers to step up and continue this important work. And so would please consider being a part of this important ministry. Thank, Thank you so much, Sherry. And I understand we now have uh, Ms. Hayes back uh, on audio. And so we're going to ask her for her testimony now. Hi, how you doing? Uh, yes, I was, was concerned, like I said, from the DYS Center that's on Hogan Street here in St. Louis, Missouri. I have a grandson that's there now. And like I said, um, when they first announced the, uh, the coronavirus here in St. Louis, Missouri, I was told that one child and one worker was affected with it. And uh, they just tested all the kids, I was just told two days ago. And um, they just received masks just now since the coronavirus is out. But my main concern is that they had three more people that was affected and they are still in the dorm with them quarantining them. So I feel like I don't understand why they can't be separated from them. And also my main concern, how come that the children can't come home at a time like this? Because no one of the kids went in there was affected with anything. And I don't want my grandson to have to be one to end up dying in there for something that, you know, I just feel that something should be done about it. Um, are y'all tracking? Are y'all tracking everything that's going on here tonight? <laughs> I'm Reverend Dr. Dietrich Wise Baker. I'm the organizer for Break the Pipeline campaign. It's the campaign inside of MCU uh, that's designed to end the criminalization of Black youth. And I think you all are starting to hear some threads that we want to make sure we're connecting. Let's go back to the beginning, right? So um, Pastor Ross is trying to help us to see that the historical decisions that we made in the past are still infecting us and impacting us, right? And so we know and break the pipeline as we talk about youth and incarcerated adults. That's why we had all these testimonies that are being shared with you all. All those are rooted deeply in racism, right? All these systems are impacted in terms of racism. Uh, and if you take a minute, we're gonna share with you um, Gamel's long-term agenda of transformation. So we just wanna give you a framework of, of how we think about 
um, our work together and our actions. So the first thing in our long-term agenda, the root of our long-term agenda is creating structural racial equity, right? That doesn't, that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. Why, if we're going to do anything with all the racism that's embedded in every system, whether it's the Missouri Department of Corrections, where it's Division of Youth Services, whether it's juvenile detention centers, whether it's our Medicaid, whether it's our legislature, um, and getting suppressed from that, then we have systemic racism um, that we have to deal with. And then we want to build people's control of government, right? We want to build people's control of the economy. I think we understand that now more than ever, why we need control of our economy, right? And that we want to expand the public square. And this is our vision of how we actually build the beloved community. And so as we, uh, we're getting ready to hear a little bit about building people's control of government, someone is trying to take control of our government. And guess what? Um, we have to fight back. Our brother and friend Bob Carr is coming up to share more about those actions. Good, good evening, everyone. Uh, so Bob Carr, I'm a member of Peace United Church of Christ. I led the uh, MCU Medicaid expansion team, and I'm continuing to work with DeMarco on the, uh, the MCU voter program. So see if you agree with me about this statement. Uh, the Missouri legislature is not meeting the needs of our community. And I certainly hope you will agree with me on that. Uh, it's important to know that we have a tool to address uh, what the Missouri legislature has not and probably will not do. And that's the initiative petition process, which offers us a way to lift our voice to make change and protect our community. So I want to share thoughts on three topics that I work on because I want to preserve a world for my grandkids that is very different from what the legislative majority has in mind. Uh, so first, Medicaid expansion. Uh, this uh, offers us one opportunity to protect our community by providing healthcare coverage to over 200,000 people. So think about that. Uh, Bush Stadium holds about 40,000. That's five times that. It's a lot of people. And as we've seen uh, with the pandemic, uh, these matters uh, regarding healthcare coverage are matters of life and death. So, so think about it with me. Uh, these folks, these 200,000 plus people, uh, have been denied healthcare coverage by the majority in the legislature for many years. And that's just not right. So. <clears throat> We're working to uh, do something about that. Uh, the petition campaign has been successful, so that's very important for you to know. The petitions will actually be submitted to the Secretary of State tomorrow. There are enough petitions to get it on the ballot. Uh, over 150 MCU volunteers uh, collected over 15,000 signatures, so thanks to everyone that uh, contributed to that. So this is a very important effort and we have to fight to get it approved when it's on the November uh, ballot. And so we'll be asking you to help do that by joining us in canvassing, either virtually or in person, depending on the circumstances, uh, working to continue to educate uh, congregations and to get people out to vote in favor of uh, Medicaid expansion. Next, a few comments about uh, Clean Missouri. So we've demonstrated uh, that we can be successful with ballot initiatives. Uh, however, the legislature is trying to take back the redistricting reform that 60% of the Missouri voters approved in 2018. So it makes me really angry when I hear a legislature say the following, and this is a real quote, voters didn't understand what they voted for in 2018. 
Well, all the people that I talked to who signed the petition and then voted, I think understood very clearly what they were voting for. So we're asking you to help us uh, continue the defense of clean. In the near term, this will involve uh, contacting your state reps. And if the legislature places a redistricting change on the either August or November ballot to join us in canvassing and educating and getting people to uh, stand up for what's already been approved and not to make the change, to basically to defeat what will be put forward by the legislature. And then finally, the, the, the constitutional process that allows us to do Medicaid expansion in clean Missouri is the initiative petition process. And that's also under attack in the legislature. Uh, they're basically getting tired of dealing with one initiative at a time. <clears throat> so they're attempting to make the whole process more difficult. And this has been in the Constitution in Missouri for over 100 years. So <clears throat> in March, I joined a group uh, organized by Joshua Justice to go to Jeff City to talk with legislators on, legislators on this topic. Fortunately, we focused on ones who were very committed to preserving this fundamental right for the people. I was really energized by that uh, experience. And at some point, uh, we'll likely ask you to communicate with your legislators on this important topic, depending on what evolves. So please join us in lifting our voice uh, on these issues to protect our uh, community. And you'll continue to hear uh, about the progress of these uh, topics in the legislature. So now we'll turn it over to Pastor Burton, who will talk about the power of building teams. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Reverend Roger Burton, and I serve as pastor of New Northside Missionary Baptist Church. I just want to just share just a few moments with you to speak to you. In light of everything that we've heard, uh, a person can feel completely disempowered. A person can feel like there's nothing that they can do, but there is something that you can do. As Martin Luther King said, you can always serve. And so one of the things that uh, I'm very grateful that uh, MCU has brought to our congregation's attention in the 27th Ward where we are located. Uh, we were concerned about whether uh, people were receiving food, uh, especially in that, you know, the assumption is that everyone in St. Louis has a car and that's not true. And uh, the assumption is that everyone can get to where the food is being passed out. Uh, there's also many other needs that uh, the government, which is struggling to, as we all know, respond to this situation, is failing to meet all the needs of the people. And so that calls for the people, uh, organizations, churches, to get together and to meet the needs of the people. And so I was very encouraged when uh, MCU's very capable organizer, community organizer, Emmeline Giles, uh, brought to us the idea of mutual aid, which is going on in other parts of the city. And so I asked the congregation if there would be volunteers that would help in this organizing. And so Emmeline, as well as another environmental justice organizer from Sierra Club, uh, Leah Clyburn, uh, they've come together. And right now, currently, the team is uh, moving forward on uh, organizing this mutual aid concept so that people can be assessed they can uh, uh, find out what the needs are through an intake form, and then volunteers will be coordinated to meet the needs, and then resource would be uh, brought in. So it all be very organic, all very homegrown, uh, the community helping the community. And so I'm just very grateful for our partnership, our relationship with MCU and, and the capable hands in which uh, they are steering our way to make this 
effort, which is critical at this time. We're in a historic situation uh, that hasn't, last time this has been seen was 100 years ago. We don't know exactly what it was all done then, but we know that we all have to rise to the occasion right now. And so I just want to, again, commend MCU and uh, the opportunity that they are putting out there by having, again, organizers to help our congregation help other people. Thank you. God bless y'all. We are moving now to our call to action where we uh, take all that has been offered to us through these powerful testimonies about how these systems are impacting people in our community, children in our community, families in our community, that even during the COVID-19 time, these systems are not sleeping. They are not keeping distance from our people, from our communities. They are in fact closing in. And the powers and principalities that are working to support racism in this racist system are uh, not taking a vacation. And so we need to be, what was it that was shared? Not just standing up, but moving together. And so now uh, we come to our call to action. And uh, right now to talk more with the group here in the MCU forum, uh, we're going to turn to uh, Reverend Ross again uh, to uh, help us find the call to action for uh, our work together as MCU in this region. Reverend Ross. Well, thank you. And thanks for everything that's been shared here. Uh, I hope that you, like I, have been uh, angered, have been encouraged, have been reminded of the importance of our work together. Uh, and so we all have a role to play. And I want to just now take us through what we are asking you to do. It is time to make a commitment. Uh, we can, we, this work happens only with our, our commitment to work together on this. And so there, we will ask you to vote via the poll that will be shared on, well, to, uh, to indicate your commitment via the poll that will be shared. Um, and if you are on Facebook Live, we would ask you to just share in the comment section, as some people have already done maybe, uh, what you, where you are willing to volunteer, what you can commit to. So there are three areas of main areas of commitment. The first relates to building your congregation team. So we need our congregations to be uh, strong when it's time for elections. So we show up, we have access, and we hear our voices at the polls. We've heard a number of threats to our ability to express our voices at the polls. They've come in the form of voter suppression by incarceration. We've heard about redistricting, disregard for the expressed will of Missouri voters. Um, but we know that if we organize, we can make sure every voice is heard and that every voice is counted. Now, Pastor Burton emphasized uh, one, one area of team building, and we are, are so grateful for that. And I just want to make sure that you know that we are also building teams for phone banks and other voter engagement for the uh, for clean, for working on Medicaid expansion, and for voter turnout to upcoming elections. So please sign up tonight to build your congregation's team. So the second area relates to breaking the pipeline action. So it's a break the pipeline action, which will be held on May 8th. It is a drive-by uh, action uh, at the Youth Detention Center. So you can join with Expo, with Maria who spoke earlier and the families that testified 
at 5 p.m. on May 8th for an action to make your voices heard in a drive-by, lifting up the voices of our incarcerated youth and adults. We're gonna be calling on the Division of Youth Services and the Missouri Department of Correction to be accountable to families and communities. We know what the history is and we are working to create something new going forward. So we'll be taking the fight to the DYS facility on Hogan Street in St. Louis City. We'll be sending more details about that at, and updates as we get closer to the event. The third area is clean defense. So tonight, the Missouri House held a bill in committee that would undo the reforms to redistricting that were passed by you and so many other Missourians in 2018 by over 60% majority. Those legislators need to hear from you now. Tell them to focus on the pandemic and to leave our fair maps alone. You would think they have enough to worry about already. Please check in the poll to record your commitment so we can follow up with you about future actions. So again, if you are, if you are participating via Zoom, please, please uh, make your commitment via the poll. If you are participating via Facebook Live, please share your commitment with your name in the chat. And if you are joining us via uh, Zoom on the phone, please hang on to the end of the call and we will talk with you, with you directly to get your commitment. Thank you so much, James, uh, for that summary of all the ways that we can be moving in our congregations, in our community, and in our state to have an impact and to challenge the systems that are uh, destroying our youth, our uh, families, our communities, um, to stand up and to move and to make a difference, uh, to end mass incarceration, to uh, expand uh, Medicaid, and to uh, keep Missouri clean um, and to resist the, the uh, greed and influence in our state that is working to undo the will of the people in that way. So I don't know about you, um, but through this virtual uh, way of gathering, I am uh, as summoned as ever uh, and angry as ever to be about this work. And I am grateful that you have joined us tonight and you too are moved and ready to be about this work as well. And so as you make your uh, choices known for how you are going to commit to move uh, following this meeting, um, we will be in touch with you uh, and follow up with you. And uh, we will continue on, in this work together. Uh, we've heard tonight from impacted people who are uh, not only sharing their testimonies of how these systems are impacting their children and their families and their lives, but are also sharing testimonies of how they are rising up and how we are all moving together uh, to change these systems. And so there are more of us than there are of them as uh, Reverend Ross shared in his opening. And we have been reminded of that and encouraged of that uh, here together tonight. We have been gathered in the spirit 
of our creator who has created us and who has created this world for human and creational flourishing. It is not created so that some very few people can make money and can flourish while the, while the rest suffer. We have been uh, reminded of how we are connected to one another in the power of that spirit. And so even in this time of being distant from one another, we have been reminded and we have been summoned into a mighty body that will be about this work. So as you feel that in your body, go out into your communities and share this work and this testimony and this vision with others and get everyone involved. Uh, thank you for being a part of this MCU call to action uh, meeting tonight, this uh, assembly, and uh, we will see you again soon. Good night and God bless. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the MCU Call to Action Assembly. To join us in our work for justice in the St. Louis community, visit our website at mcustlewis.org or our accounts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.